welcome. Legally Brief presents the Child Athlete Abuse Podcast. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer, mother, and survivor. I work with competitive athletes and their families who are confronting abusive coaches. This podcast is for parents and athletes who are fed up, dealing with fear, and searching for answers. While I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast, the contents are never a substitute for contacting and speaking directly with a licensed attorney who knows and understands your circumstances. Past episodes of the show can be found on my website, jsaunderslawfirm.com. And when you visit the website, have a look around. I've put lots of information there for you that will help answer your questions and will provide some options for you. Don't forget to subscribe to our monthly newsletter. If you're ready to speak confidentially with an attorney, please feel free to call me. You can reach me at 212-709-8141. And if anything in this show resonates with you, if you think it could be helpful to a parent, an athlete, a friend, share the episode. And don't forget to do two other things. Subscribe to the show. Also, leave a rating and a review. I read all of your reviews. All right, let's talk. I'm glad you're here and ready to listen. I am here with Bernie Headley, and it is a pleasure for two reasons. In full disclosure to everyone, Bernie and I go back so far. I don't know if it's what is what's the saying? Maybe Babies and pacifiers. Years. I yep, mean, for about. a while. <laughs> but I respect Bernie not only because we're friends, not only because I consider him family, but also because of his expertise and the time that he's put in into being a coach, into his so into that being an entrepreneur and being a professional. So I put that disclaimer and I put it out there for my listeners. You know, sometimes as podcasters we interview friends or people that we know, but there's real substance to the conversation that we're going to have. And that's why I wanted to bring it to the audience because every day we're dealing with these issues that have to deal with abuse and issues in competitive youth sports. And this is an area that Bernie has spent countless years, hours, understanding and really getting used to what's important when it comes to athleticism. So with that disclaimer out there, and I'm going to also, there's going to be so much to talk about. I'm going to put Bernie's full background and bio on the show notes. So Bernie, if you could, can you fast forward in your professional journey and talk about specifically how you got involved in your current venture in sport. Tell us what your current venture is right now in sport and dealing with competitive youth athletes. What is that all about? The name sure. of it? Where is it located? Sure. No problem. First of all, thank you, Judy, for having me on this podcast. Of course, you know, we go way back. So I feel honored and privileged to be a part of this. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about this journey. 360 Sports Academy is the name of the company that I have. It's a volleyball training platform for girls volleyball. And really the idea came about through watching my own daughter's experience as she learned to play volleyball and then later on became really competitive in volleyball and us trying to navigate or jump over some of the hurdles that were in front of her. So the idea of the club or the company in itself, they call them club volleyball, like travel basketball, travel, everything. So they call it clubs here. Uh, 
came through my experience as a parent. So everything that I do for my club here in Chicago is based on my experience as a parent, as a parent who has gone through it. My daughter started playing in seventh grade and in seventh grade, eighth grade, coming from middle school to high school, she said, I wanted to make the team. Okay. What do we got to do to make the team? You know, the training that goes involved with that. And then when you do make the high school team, like she did, the next thing they're telling you, well, you got to do more training. I think you should join a travel team. You do that. And then we do that to get her better for varsity and then hopefully you get her into college. But a lot of things that I experienced with having a black girl, African-American woman, young woman in volleyball was different. You know, I I, want to say it was different because there was not a lot of African-American players playing with this club. So some of the things that she experienced, whether it be associating with the team members or getting along or just learning, the learning curve was different. So I said, I wonder how many girls like my daughter either have experienced this or experiencing this right now, or better yet, parents don't even know this world exists for their daughter, black girl who lives in South side or West side of Chicago. We don't, they may not even know anything about this to get this exact same training. So that's where the idea came from. Like, what if I started my own and we're now in our ninth year, I'm happy to say every year since we started in 2011, fall of 2011, starting with my daughter's class, 2012, we've been able to place anywhere from two to six girls every class in college. Wow. And that we're not talking playing volleyball in college. Let me be more specific, playing volleyball in college, whether it be through full scholarship, partial scholarship, or just making it as a, a team member, as a walk-on. And I wear that with a badge of honor because the majority of my club is Black. And girls directly from that have been challenging, whether it be economically challenged, culturally challenged, or come from the harder areas of town on the west side or the south side, who may not have gotten this opportunity before. So you brought up some really great points. And I commend that you would see this opportunity going through the process with your own daughter. And I know you to be such a great entrepreneur and looking for opportunity, looking for opportunities to help others. But you mentioned in there the learning curve that you said that your daughter experienced. Talk to us about what that athletic learning curve, what it looked like for your daughter and what you see that learning curve. What what does that mean? What do you when you're using it in that way? Sure. Not every kid is gifted athletically, you know, regardless of how much money you put into a child. If they're not gifted athletically, certain things are going to be a challenge. You know, uh, some people who know how to jump, it's, it's a God given ability that you can jump high. I can't teach you how to jump high or better yet, the more technique I give you about jumping high has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to do it successfully. So the learning curve for my daughter was she's not the tallest, she's not the fastest. She was strong, but didn't grow up in an environment where volleyball was like the next best sport. You know, she watched me play basketball. So the idea of it being second nature never came to her. So she had to work harder. Working harder some nights means we had to go get a private coach or stay extra hours in the gym to practice serving or practice passing. And sometimes it's frustrating because when you're learning, (laughs) you're not winning all the time, you know, especially in a team environment where you have six girls on the court that are all learning at the same time. 
it's frustrating because you're not going to win. Or better yet, it's hard to win. So with that, there's a amount of frustration. Am I good enough? Am I really as good as the other girl on the other side of the net? And so that hard time, you know, for me was, yeah, baby girl, you're just as good. You just need to put in some more work. And so that learning curve took a little longer, but eventually she got it. But if me as a parent wasn't patient enough, it could be difficult if I'm a coach and not patient enough with that player. Two things that you mentioned in this discussion about learning curve, you said that your daughter had a learning curve, but it seemed as if the learning curve specifically in, and your daughter is Porsche. Yes. Um, in Porsche's case, this learning curve was equaled or was lessened, so to speak, because one, you were able to afford private coaches. Yep. And two, you had the time, you had the parenting skills to be patient. Are you finding those factors to be also available with the cross-section of the girls on your team? Is that, are, are you finding girls that have one, the disposable income for private coaching and also parents that have the ability, one, to give the time and to be supportive? Is that common on the team that you have? No, not on a large scale. No, I will say I do have a nice there's some parents in there who can't afford it. Yes. But on a large scale, no. A lot of girls that come to my program are being raised by a single parent, whether it be by the dad or by the mom or yeah, there are two parents involved, but you know, they're not equally working together. And so those dynamics have played, can play a role because on a general sense, there are more moms that come to the game. And if that mom was not an athlete or did not do the process herself, they don't totally get that it is a process. You have to, it's not a light switch. Just because you pay a $1,500 or $1,000 for training doesn't mean at the end of the session, your child is now ready to go to a division one school or make, go from JV to varsity. You know, uh, a lot of times parents aren't patient with the process. They simply, and I get it because if I pay money, it's almost like I want instant gratification. Right. You know, if I pay money to get on a flight and I or eat food and I don't like it and it doesn't taste good, you know, I wasted my money. So it's the same thing with training. Parents, some parents feel like if at the end, I'm bringing my daughter to you because I want her to get better. And at the end of this session, I expect her to be better. Mm -hmm. But better is such a vague word. What do you mean better? Better than the way she walked in or better enough to go to college? Right. And so some parents don't get that process. We're teaching parents that process, but in a general sense, no, not every parent gets that. What I'm getting with the team that you started, it sounds like what distinguishes it from, say, another travel team, another club team, is that you are specifically focused on, and correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. you're focusing on a type of family player that may not be familiar with the whole ecosystem of travel competitive sports, one that may not understand or may not have the means to pour in mm -hmm. that private training. Mm -hmm. So let's just anchor this to just using myself as an example. Right. Kids, very fortunate. We live in a suburban setting. I myself never played sports at any level, but I had the one time I had the disposable income. Yeah. I had I was in a community where competitive sports was just that's the thing you do. Oh, your kid is five years old. They enroll in kindergarten. They start enrolling in first clinics. And then after the clinics, 
They go to the rec. And then after rec, you're all in lockstep in a parade together. The information is not that far away. So for example, again, using myself, when my son came home in his backpack with his, you know, the school notices they had in there, hey, parents, the new team is starting up. It sounds like what distinguishes what you did and what you're the business that you're growing for these young athletes is to one, educate parents who may not, this whole world of competitive mm-hmm. sports mm-hmm. may not even be new to them. Am I getting that? Is that is No, you're absolutely true? right. I mean, in a general sense, you hear more about all the boys programs that are out there. Okay. You know, I played sports and like you said, your sons played sports. So there's tons of activities available for boys. And don't get me wrong, they're all positive. Very few sports out there that women are promoted and promoted in a big way past basketball, cheerleading, softball to some level, depending on where you grew up and track. And then, of course, if you grew up in the suburbs, you would also add in volleyball. But now the twist that I have is majority of my families are from the city, Chicago. They don't live in the suburbs. Not all of them. They live in the city of Chicago. So like you, it's what's available for them. In your suburban area, what was available for you, you just took full advantage of it. But if it's not available for you, what's there to take advantage of? So much less, what if no one talks about it? So my goal from day one is, okay, expose the parents who just don't know. Not that they don't have the girl or the wherewithal or even the income. They just didn't know. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's expose them to something that they didn't know about. That was number one. Number two, okay, now that you do know about it, this world can be pricey. You know, this volleyball world, because you got to, you know, go to the tournaments here. You got to buy uniforms here. You got to pay this gym cost here. It can be pricey. So how do I bridge that gap for the parent who really, really wants to do it versus I just can't afford it. So you got to find that way. So you got to introduce them to doing fundraisers and doing these different things to help try to bridge that gap between I really want to do it and can I really afford it? Talk about that for a second, because again, let's give the listener who may not even be that familiar with urban Chicago. I I live yeah. there, love Chicago. Talk about a little bit of the the demographic of where you are, even where the club, are you training downtown Chicago or talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, well, Chicago is diverse. Don't get me wrong. Chicago is a very diverse city, Okay, but it's also known as one of the more segregated cities in America. So as it divides itself out, north side, south side, west side, you can pretty much determine, depending on what side of town, what cultures are going to be in that area, what race will be in that area. So depending on where you are determines how much you can afford, you know? So if you live on the north side, it tends to be a little bit more pricier than families living on the west side of Chicago. And on the south side, you you tend to get a mixture of both, but yet because it's predominantly African-American, Latino, not everything is out there because where you have Latinos and African-Americans and low-income mixed with middle-income, not everybody's willing to invest in those areas, whether it be financially or not. So then you have, well, we don't have the facilities. We don't have the wherewithal to even train. So we're fortunate. We have been able to find a gym on the south side of Chicago in the High Park neighborhood, which is a predominantly middle-class neighborhood, Black neighborhood that can house us. So we're right in the middle of kind of everything where people can get to us. So that part's covered. But if you're on the north side, there's gyms everywhere or it's a 
parents who make a little bit more money can afford to take their kids to other areas of town because they have the car. You know, I got girls who take the bus to practice. So that means their parents are either using that one car to go to work or there's no car at all. So from that financial perspective, they got more of an advantage than any of my club girls that don't have a car or don't have that type of advantage. And we're going to take a hard turn, right? This is the time coming up. Next couple of questions. We're going to take a hard turn into this whole discussion that we have going on culturally about diversity, equity, inclusion, about what we systemic racism, Mm -hmm. about when you just mentioned the different sections of Chicago, it is multicultural, but is it really? What are the impact of, you know, historical things such as, you know, redlining neighborhoods, the cutting off of services, Mm -hmm. what you just mentioned about if you live on the north side, if you live in the north suburbs, I know I lived in the north suburb for a little while. It's gorgeous, beautiful. Mm -hmm. I know that over time, gentrification has touched the west side and that has exploded. But historically, you don't have the gyms, you don't have the facilities. So we're going to talk about that for a second. But I want to let the listeners know and also give you an opportunity to discuss how have you bridged that gap? How have you faced those obstacles? And what else do you need? Tell the listeners what you need, because I have a group of listeners that understand the normal challenges of being involved in competitive sports and have big hearts and will respond to what it is that you need to bring in more diversity through your team. I appreciate that. I mean, donations are always a welcome thing because there are girls that we've had the scholarship. You know, when you get a a single parent who has two daughters, so that means they got to pay two fees. And if our fee is $1,500 per player for one season, and they got two kids, that means one single parent has got to come with $3,000. That's a lot of money where that mother now has to make a choice, which child goes. So I've just gone ahead myself and said, you know what? We'll figure it out. Let both of these girls play, you know, get them the uniform, we'll figure it out. So donations has been asking for people to donate money has been an annual thing. I always ask people to help out. In this case, we accept all donations to our website, which is www.sportsacademy360.com. There's a donation tab right on the homepage, but it's Sports Academy, Sports with a S, sportsacademy360.com. You'll see our donation tab. It opens up to our accounting services, which is Resilience Partners, which is still uh, fine to make your donation through there. Uh, they handle all our books. It's a nonprofit organization here in Chicago that helps small organizations out. So feel free to make a donation and we thank you in advance. But that's a huge hurdle for us. I mean, even a uniform alone, we can't go get Adidas or Nike or Mizuno or any of those high cal- uh, Under Armour even, high caliber volleyball uniforms because I have to factor there's going to be 10 girls out of 30 that may not be able to afford that increased price. So while our uniforms look nice, but when you live in a society that's built on name brand and fashion, well, you you don't have Nike or you don't have Adidas. You're already walking into a gym that you feel inferior on. And I hate that feeling for my girls because we're already walking into the gym, the minority. You know, we forget how we play it. I think we play spectacular, but we already walk in like, oh, that's the all black team or that's the team that's got majority black and brown. And then, well, we don't have the name brand uniforms like all the other girls on the other side of the net. So then 
you know, and that, that pre- presents another obstacle. So your audience, listening audience, I can thank you in advance if you decide to help out, uh, help us out. That's a big thing for us. So let's talk about this. Let's make that hard pivot I was talking about in our conversation, because what I think is so important about what you're doing and this team that you're building. So let me frame it along these lines. Why I think this is important is because if you're pulling from a section of our American society that does not historically have access to opportunity, to athletic opportunity, mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have because of whatever it is, be it generational racism, be it gener- uh, generational you know, lack of access, those individuals in my own understanding, are not being filtered into the funnel, so to speak, of competitive sports. So it's both a question and a comment. And first, I I guess I'll give my opinion. It's my understanding that if you're always getting players, if you're always pulling from a part of the population that always has the money, always Mm -hmm. has the income, Mm -hmm. always has a parent with both the parenting skills And the time, say you have a parent that's at home or a parent that's working part-time while another parent is out fully funding the home. And you can have one parent fully focused on this child's athletic ability because you and I both know that as a child's uh, sport becomes more competitive, so does the travel. Mm -hmm. So does the weekend, the time. For example, when I decided to do more work outside of the home as a lawyer, I was able to now hire drivers to take my kids Mm, to away games. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, for a lot of people, that would be a game changer. So now that being said, here's the question. If you don't have these means income, you don't have accessibility. Are we really then getting at the competitive level, true diversity? true diversity, not only in skin color, but a true diversity in opinions and viewpoints and experiences. Are we getting a true diverse universe ecosystem of sports? If we're talking sports in general, no. If we're talking specific sports, basketball, football, baseball, then yes, simply because in those sports, you still have to go find, you still want the edge by getting the best player. The best player may not be the suburban player. The best player is probably sitting in some hood somewhere or some island somewhere. And odds are they're from some cultural background other than American or white, but he or she is the best player. Depending on on other sports like volleyball, some soccer, if your kid wants to get into skiing, even at a competitive level, it's based on economics. Volleyball to me is an economic sport. Whether you're Black, White, or Latino, it's based on economics on how much exposure you're given. You know, if you have the money, you'll be exposed more. If you don't have the money, you're exposed less. And so to me, in my sport, that's the biggest challenge. You know, how do we get more girls? So we talk about diversity and inclusion exposure. Okay. And so that's a challenge. If your kid goes to a public school in Chicago that doesn't have a big budget for sports, how are they supposed to get looks? Mm-hmm. You know, how are they supposed to get looks? Or they do have a budget for sports, but it's a large school and you can only put 12 girls on a team. And so 
where does that kid who just didn't make the team get the opportunity to learn or get better? Or, so they, they got to go to a club. Oh, where are the clubs? Oh, the clubs are in the suburbs or the clubs are too expensive for my mama. So now, you know, that player that could have been a star, we don't ever know would be a star because they're not playing. Because they're out. Because they're they out. Can't, they can't get into that funnel. They can't get the access. No. They can't get the opportunity. The Tell NBA me. is the biggest example to that to me. Talk about saying, that. What do you mean saying by that? Earlier, the NBA, like I was just looking at the last two years of the NBA draft, more sons of ex NBA players were drafted than I've ever seen. Hmm. And so that means to me that father now, who was probably from a hood neighborhood or a urban neighborhood can now afford to take his son to a prep school or travel ball or wherever, give him the, all the advantages that he didn't have. And it's not to say the kid is not good, right? but it's to say now you have more advantages than hell, even dad. And because of my last name too, I can put you in front of people that would not have known you otherwise. So are we identifying here a system, a system similar to other institutions that are out there and we'll just, so let's just pick, you know, the, the Ivy league educational system. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. have to have, you have to one be, have a certain level of quote unquote academic intelligence, but then it also helps if you have a tutor for the standardized test and for your regular test. And then it also helps if you have someone, you know, to help you prepare your application and your essay. And then if your legacy to one of the Ivy league schools, are we identifying a a sports system that kind of mimics some of these other institutions? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. As, as much as we can sit here and say sports is super positive for the individual and working with each other, working with people, team sports, it's great. But the flip side of that is, yeah, it's not an even playing field. Mm-hmm. Not like people want it to be. It's not even at all because the kid that is able to access more information wins. Not right. just because he's super talented or she is super talented, but they if you have access to more things, you just naturally put yourself in a better position, which is why as parents, we do what we do. You know, we move from the city to the suburbs to give our kids access to a better education. You never hear the reverse. I'm moving from the suburbs to the city to give my kid access better to something. So that's just natural. As a parent, we want the best for our kids. And I'm not knocking the NBA players or any other parent who does just that, but that's exactly what it does. Mm -hmm. My daughter was a benefit of one, I had free time. I worked hard, but I worked a job that was kind of I was self-employed so I could make my own hours. I could make the time to put into it. You know, I I made enough income where I could still afford to put her through that extracurricular activity. So she wins. However, that's not everybody's scenario. And so, yeah, you end up now having a group of people who just because don't win or don't get the resources. And it's sad. It's not an even playing field. And I guess that we can all say that's life. It's not supposed to be an even playing field, but it's sports. It's for kids to have fun, bottom line. And we've got to figure out a way to bridge that gap a little bit more where these high profile athletes that are out there, while they do have their foundations, they do do their things. I think there's more that can be done to bridge that gap. When you told me about, you know, often in the past, off this recording and in the past, when you talked about the organization, that's how I always saw your target. Your target, your objectives of this club team was to do just that. Absolutely. Bridge that gap. Absolutely. Provide information. Provide now a new generation we're volleyball, but the culture of sport will be second nature. That's that's how I am. I characterizing absolutely, absolutely, that absolutely, absolutely, one hundred percent. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. Because, yeah, it's the I'm providing the resource to those that don't know. My, my everyday job is a community liaison. That's my job here in Chicago, where I relate to the community and bring figure out the needs of the community and bring it back to my company. So it's the same thing. I know the needs of the community. So I'm just going to bring it to the community and say, hey, here's what's available. You know, here's what's available for your daughter to aspire to. You may not have known about it before. Let me tell you about it. And let me help you figure out how to afford it. And if we can't afford it, let me go out and raise some money to help you and your daughter. Let's spend the last couple of minutes. I think this will be the last topic that we go over. I could, of course, you know, we can hop on the phone and talk about everything forever. Yeah, for sure. Let's talk about some of the success and your objectives, your goals now with getting your players into college, the and I may be using the wrong term, some of the college exhibitions that you're having, yes, or yes, talk yes. about that, the idea behind that, the success, the challenges. Yeah. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, I'll start with the, the success story. We've had girls, like there was one girl we're super proud of. I'll just exclude her name for the sake of, okay. but um, every night she had to make a choice. Do I go to practice? Or do I go home to eat? And she had multiple brothers and sisters and she would get home, you know, nine, 10 o'clock from practice and, and there'd be no more food because everybody's eating but her. Mom was already at work. So if you know, you got kids, if you're not around protecting that food, them kids are going to eat the food. So she literally for two straight years when we coached her, I bought dinner to see this young lady graduate from college or is about to graduate this year from college, continued her volleyball career. She played 100% for free for us. She couldn't afford it. Mom couldn't afford it. I said, just don't worry about it. She's a talent. We'll figure it out. And we did. But to see her knowing that she's graduating soon, how successful she is on the court as well as off the court, her grades are up. To me, that's a feel-good story. Who may not have had the chance, who knows what her life could have been had this not been for her. So, you know, we're also now creating additional opportunities other than the travel experience. So we have what is known as, is going to be called the HBCU Girls College Volleyball, Girls Volleyball Combine and Exposure Camp. So HBCU Girls Volleyball Combine and Exposure Camp. It's actually coming up June 4th through the 6th. And what we're going to do We're going to expose any and every girl. I want to be very clear. Any and every girl that wants to play volleyball, but in particular, who is interested in going to any of our HBCUs. Let me stop you right there, because some listeners may not know that acronym HBCU. What is it? And yeah. Historically Black Colleges and Universities. HBCUs is the acronym. So we're conducting a combine and we're changing the words up a little bit. So I want to be really careful on how I use the words. We're calling it H-B-C-S-E-E-Y-O-U. So they're coming to see you play. So it's exposure camp. So twist on the words HBCU, but we're inviting also the historical black colleges and universities to come and witness and watch and see talent they may not have known about. But it's going to do twofold. One, it's going to give that player an opportunity to showcase their talent in front of college coaches, which is what every player they want to do. Second, it's also going to expose them to HBCUs to say, wow, I did not know they had a volleyball program. I did not know they were D1, too, that I can get a full scholarship or a partial scholarship. 
I didn't know this was available. So the coaches will be there to say, hey, yes, we are available. And then the last thing it's going to be able to show are those coaches, those coaches who normally take the travel scene or go to different tournaments. Hey, this is just another opportunity to meet some girls that don't do that travel scene as much, but it's specifically designed to expose girls from the city of Chicago. And I got some other girls coming from out of town, but specifically for girls who don't normally get this type of attention. Black, brown, or white doesn't matter to me. However, it does. It will highlight women of color without any shame to it. It's going to highlight women of color, but it's for everybody simply because you may be that girl that's just not getting the proper exposure. And that's we want awesome. to provide it for you. That is so awesome. And do you have, thinking you don't have to say names, do you have stories of girls, families that wouldn't even have considered college but for their participation on this team, but for this event? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, the event is to come. So the goal for the event is, my goal is five girls. We're, We're hoping for 50 to 60 girls to come to the combine. All I want is five girls to have come to the camp and then get a scholarship. I have my numbers small simply because I don't want to overstep. But the goal is to at least get five girls who may not have had the opportunity elsewhere to come out at the end of the weekend or sometime before they graduate from high school with an offer to go play volleyball to college. And I'm already two steps ahead. There's a college out there who emailed me this week and said, hey, look, I want to put two scholarships on the table right now. That is great. So all I need is three more girls that's and the great. two to fill the scholarship that's that's already on the table. She called me about a week ago. I won't say to college, I'm a, you know, just so we yeah, no, keep that right. level down. <laughs> but she's already said for what you guys are trying to do, I'm going to put two scholarships out there for a class. I'm looking for somebody to come in freshman year this year in the fall. And I got two scholarships for them. And remind us again, you are you're doing this. You are now acting as a bridge and exposure. And this you started this team when just how? Uh, let's see. My daughter, 2011, fall 2011, October. Yeah. That so is great to have achieved class. this. Yeah. Now it's been a labor of love. I, I, I respect the game now, so to speak. It's because not it's not easy. I appreciate everyone who's taught me along the way. You know, I had somebody teach somebody had to teach me volleyball. Okay. You know, our first coach that we have, my partner, he taught me how to really coach. Well, who is your partner? Give what is what we're no longer partners, but at the time his name is Corey Oliver, one okay. of the best coaches out there. I gotta put him out there. Corey Oliver is the best coach. Right. I've ever seen. Uh, at the time, he was single, got married, had children. Life, yeah. No, no harm, no foul. We keep in touch with each other every day, every other week, or every other month as we possibly can. But when we first started out, he led our girls to where they are and set the stage for where we are today. I've always been a decent administrator, so I've always continued to play that role. And now, nine years, ten years later. I've got 10 of the best coaches in Chicago that I feel 10 of the best coaches in Chicago that have the same passion, same love that I have for all the girls. And that Corey, I'll give him the credit, started. And while he may not be with us, he started the foundation of how we're going to coach. Even how I coach was based on some of the principles he put into play. Even some of our alumni come back and say, hey, Corey wouldn't allow that. And I'm like, you're right, let's go fix that. (laughs) (laughs) But nonetheless, the foundation was laid back in 2011 when Corey and I were together. 
when he moved on to continue his family and we wished each other the best. I continued the legacy of training and the organization skills were always there, hired more coaches, taught them, or they came with the experience, but I gave them the passion that we need to have to coach these girls. And they they have it. I, I got the best coaches in the world. That's awesome. So tell if there are girls out there that may be listening to this show, families that yeah. want to join the team, what's the process? How does that work if people are interested in reaching out and coming to a tryout and joining this team? Absolutely. How does that happen? I, I think the best way is to start out by calling 773 413 8360. All right, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Okay. Appreciate it. 773 413 8360. Okay. Our website is sportsacademy360.com. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to follow us on social media, we're on Facebook. So it's 360 Sports Academy Volleyball on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's 360 Volleyball, but we spell it out, not just use the numbers. We spell out 360 Volleyball on Instagram. And those would be the easiest places to start. All that information comes directly to me. So if you had an interest at any point in time, say, hey, Coach Bernie, I'm interested in my daughter or I'm interested, period. What were my next steps? I'll be happy to give you a call anytime. All right. So follow you, share, like, watch your videos. Bernie, this is always, you are, you have always been right there in the middle, making a change. I think this exemplifies it. I am always happy to support this. And this highlights, I was, before we jumped on and hit record, I was talking about how, you know, a lot of the show focuses on, you know, situations that are not positive, coaches that cross the line that are abusive. But I think, Today, I wanted to flip the script. I wanted to show a coach that is, you are just relentless in not only modeling great coaching practices, patience, but then you are expanding out into the community and you're saying, hey, you're like waving a flag over here, guys, get into this big, beautiful world of sports. Oh, you don't know how to do it? I have the information for you. So I thank you for that. And I'm going to air this show, put it up, and I want people to reach out and follow you. All right. So, you know, we'll we'll keep the conversation going. But for now, thank you for everyone for listening. And promise me that you'll come back and tell everyone about the camp and whether I'm counting that you get 10 scholarships, but we'll keep it at five for now. But (laughs) Uh, I'll keep my your mouth to God's ears. Absolutely. All right. Okay. All right, everyone. Thanks a lot, B. Thank you. Okay. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.